Hello and welcome to the Trigger Warning Talk podcast where we discuss traumas. We're going to be interviewing our guest today. Her name is Jessica Johnson. She is a human and sex trafficking advocate and expert. She's going to be talking about three different topics from her experience being trafficked. Uh, she's going to talk about overcoming being trafficked as a youth, founding changing souls and her advocacy work in human and sex trafficking with sex workers in the state of Oregon. Jessica, hi, what's going on with you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've listened to so many of your interviews over the past few months and I'm telling you, I'm just in awe, not only of you, but the information and the expertise that you have. So, we're going to just go ahead and deep dive into the subject matter and the floor is yours, my dear. Tell us how you overcame being trafficked as a young person. Um, well, I came from a broken home. Um, my dad was a captain for American Airlines, but um, everything isn't always so peachy and green on the other side from what it may look like from the outside. Um, my parents were divorced, so I lived with my dad. So I'm half Trinidadian and half Japanese. So I'm a biracial woman. Um, with that being said, with the different types of forms of abuse that happen at home, um, eventually uh, we moved all over the United States. And because of that, um, I came to Portland where I originally moved from um, Lawrenceville, Georgia to Hawaii, lived in Toronto, Canada, and then eventually came back to the U.S. And we ended up in um, Beaverton, Hillsborough, Oregon. And things wasn't as peachy, as clean as it was because I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, but my dad migrated us to Hawaii. And then by me being bullied and hurt, I moved to Toronto with my grandmother for a year. Then my dad said, you know, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be back to our family. Of course, that was a lie. Um, moved to Beaverton, Hillsborough area. Things got worse. Um, the verbal, the emotional, just all the abuse that I had endured, um, it just led to me running away from home. And as I ran away from home, I ended up being trafficked in at 16. So from 16 to 19, I um, was excruciating, went through all different types of abuse with this man. Um, from fear building into uh, emotional, mental, physical, uh, sexual, um, and then also financial because I wasn't allowed to keep my own money from the profit of me prostituting for him. Um, so eventually I had to learn to work the streets. Um, I learned how to become a manipulator because I knew that the pimp wasn't providing the way he was supposed to. I had to use the johns, the tricks, to be able to feed myself, um, to be able to um, make a little bit more just so I can have enough for me to eat or get the basic necessity that I need as a woman or as a young teenager, you know, feminine products, stuff like that. Um, 
So eventually, you know, I was taken all over state lines from Washington to Los, you know, to Nevada to, you know, uh, California and Phoenix, Arizona. So I went to these different places to prostitute for this man. Um, eventually, I learned the ropes um, and learned that if I didn't make his quota, I knew that I would end up hurt, beat, cut, stabbed. Um, you name it, I've gone through it. And not just with the pimp, even with the Johns. Um, been taken out of, you know, situations where Johns would rape me, throw me out of cars, hurt me. I'd wake up in a hospital um, and I would get my behind whooped twice, not just from the John, but also from the pimp because I didn't have his money because either the trick robbed me or they hurt me or, you know, God knows what had happened. Um, and so those are the type of things that endure that I had to endure during that time of my life as a teenager, at the end of my teenage years. Eventually, once I became smart and realized how to work the streets, I eventually set I eventually set my pimp up to um, be taken away. And plus, I didn't even know that he was even being investigated. So, you know, he was already being watched and... They had pictures of me and him, me giving him money, him hurting me. All these things didn't know he was they we was being followed. I'm completely clueless to the street life. Um I'm totally sheltered, don't know these things exist. Uh so eventually he goes away and um I get taken back to my dad's house in Lake Oswego and now he's married to a third wife and because I didn't fit in her classification or their lifestyle, I had to go to a woman's pregnant shelter or home pretty much um, because I was raped by the pimp and I had this child that I was carrying. Um, but I eventually gave her up for adoption, which was my second rape child that I had given up for adoption. Um, so I was dealing with all of that. And eventually, once I cared for the child, nursed her, everything, I gave her up because I knew, I just felt this feeling like if I didn't give this child up, he would come back and use this child to manipulate and I would really not have a life. So that's what I did. Um, and five years, 10 months is not a long time in jail, especially when you're out here living your life. Um, but I ended up, back on the streets prostituting because I was like, you know what? Nobody seems to care. This is a cutthroat type of world. Everyone for themselves. If I don't do what I need to do for myself, then how am I going to survive? How am I going to make it? So I ended up prostituting myself another seven to eight years more after my pimp went to prison. Um, and in the midst of me prostituting myself, I treated it as a business. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't like I was being out here being promiscuous. It wasn't like I was out here on drugs. It wasn't like I was doing anything like that. It was literally me pay my bills, me pay my rent, make sure I have food, make sure I have the things that I need. But eventually, me making so much money got to my head. I became conceited. I became prideful. I became like nobody could uh, nobody could touch me. I became manipulative. I became, period, scandalous because 
that life you it gets to you you get addicted to the money it's not like i was addicted to the alcohol or drugs or anything else i was more addicted to the fact that i could scam a man out of his money and if his wife called me i tell her give me some money and i'll give you the information that you need it got that bad um eventually i met my husband, who wasn't my husband then, but who was just a guy that was a friend and he seemed cool and something about him um, made me feel like I was at peace. I was comfortable. Um, never felt like that with anybody. And um, with that being said, you know, we started talking, we started kicking it, we started, you know, you know, just just being friends. And once we was friends, um, he didn't know exactly what I did in the beginning because my mind frame was I'm not going to tell another black man that I know how to hustle. I know this is what I'm doing to make money because of my past experience of being pimped out. My um, perspective was if I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to do it for myself, um, as which were called renegades. They're called renegades um, because you don't have a pimp. You don't have a wifey who's uh, another girl paying the same guy. I wasn't doing all of that. Um, so this, my husband, you know, once he found out what I was doing, he instantly married me because I didn't know at the time that he was a man of God, even though I knew his family took him to church and whatnot. But I was literally in the church house making calls. Like, I got to get out of here. Like, this is not for me. I'm good. I'm straight. You know, I've had my experience with this. And my dad was a straight legalist, hypocrite, and used the Bible for manipulation and tactics to, to discipline. I was like, I'm good. You know, um, my grandma would go to church and right the same day out of church, be on the phone gossiping about somebody. So I was like, this is really how church people work. Like, I'm good. I'm straight. You know, like I'm good. Um, but I bet like and we and we use real talk on this podcast. So, like I said, it's unfiltered conversation. So, if you got to say whatever you got to say, you just say. So you know, I was just like, you know, I'm not dealing with this. You know, my husband would take me to church with his family, and I'd just be like. I got to go. Like I'm literally in the in the church house setting up dates. So the minute we get out, I have calls already. You know, as we call them, licks. I have licks to hit. And once you know, he would tell me certain things like, "You've got to stop. You can't do this. You gotta get out. What are you gonna do?" Later on, you can't prostitute forever, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. You know, you're young, you're you're you don't know much about life, um, so he would tell me a vision and a dream, and while he was telling me about his vision and dream, you know, I'm just like, okay, great, you know, you feel like I'm going to get in trouble, and in a way, you know, because I was so brainwashed and I was so stuck in this life that I didn't believe anything that my husband would tell me. You know, because I was just like, I'm not being controlled by another man. I'm not changing my life for nobody. This is what I'm going to do. This is me. Period. Point blank. And plus, I got to thinking to myself, I don't have, I don't even have my high school diploma because I dropped out in 10th grade. I don't have college. I don't even have job experience. What am I going to tell them what I've been doing for these last few years? Oh, by the way, I've been hoeing. Like, come on. How old are you at this stage? So 
I met my husband in 2007. I was still 19. I was like nice. 19 and a half. Um, and we didn't get married until I was almost uh, three days before my 21st birthday. So not very long after we met, we just really clicked. And um, I just, I mean, I was kind of scandalous towards him too. I mean, not even going to lie. Like I had my ways with him too. And I just knew because I knew I was a pretty girl. I knew that I could manipulate. I knew I had the art of seduction down. Let's just put that. I had it down. Um, and then there's actually a book that's written by a man and a woman. It's called The Art of Seduction that people talk about the 48 Laws. I've never read that, but The Art of Seduction. I was more interested in that because the lifestyle that I live, right? I'm like, well, sh what kind of game can I pick up? That's my mentality, right? So my whole 20s, pretty much, I prostituted myself. But a lot of my money went to paying bills. You know, you upgrade your living because, you know, you learn how to make fake pay stubs and certain things. You, you learn the system. You learn to manipulate because that's all you know, right? So I got into my own places by manipulation. And, you know, my husband would just tell me certain things like, you have to stop. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when Craigslist is, you know, um, and what are you going to do when Backpage is no longer there? What are you, all these what is? Excuse me. And so, got to have coffee with these kids. But um, I, uh, I was around when Craigslist was really, really big. You could just go online, type in portlandcraigslist.com go to the erotic, post your ads, post as many ads as you want. So it got to the point where I would take my prostitution money and invest it back into myself. I would go on photo shoots. Like when I say photo shoots, I would go on some badass photo shoots. Like you would think that I should be in the front cover of a magazine. But I invested in myself because I thought if you invest in yourself, the more money you make, which was true. So I looked at it, you know, how I knew how to market myself. I knew how to, you know, I always look, I mean, though I'm not into sales as my job, I couldn't do it. But yet you would think that I would because I knew how to market myself. But I knew how to, I had a way with words to where I would entice a man with my words. And then when they see my pictures, they was like, wow. And then when they see me in person this is where it really got scandalous because once a trick told me oh my gosh your pictures doesn't do you justice you look better in person it was a wrap okay i heard that three times so i said all right my pictures are good but they say i look better in person so i would set a price for them to come but then in person this is the deal i would make with them because i knew it would never happen you this is what i pay for this is what i this is what you have to pay for but in person i can guarantee you i look 10 times better and if and if i don't look better than the pictures then you don't have to see me right we'll have a free session which never happened 
because they thinking a lot of these girls Photoshop this and that. I didn't have to do that. Um, the grace of God, he blessed me with looks and I knew that when I took pictures, they came out fire. So when they would come, I'd always made more than what they came for because I had a mouthpiece. Tricks would tell me things that helped me to gain more money because, oh, you look prettier in person than what your pictures show. Don't tell me that when I'm a hustler, right? That's my mentality. Like, oh, you done messed up. <laughs> you done messed up. <laughs> so, what, did, uh, what did the guy on uh, Minister Society say? The guy was like, you know you done fucked up, right? <laughs> you know you done fucked up. <laughs> yeah, because... I was one of those girls that, don't get me wrong, when I was in school, I was a 3.5 GPA student. So it's not like I'm not intelligent. I just know nothing but the streets. But once I caught on to the streets and had Brooke Smart and Common Sense, it was done. It was crap. Hang it up. You might as well just give me your pocketbook. Like, that's how my mentality was. And it was so, it was to the point where pimps and hoes wanted me to be a part of their team because they're like who is she, who is she working with like this girl is making a lot of money we're not getting any calls her pictures are bad who is this chick it got to the point where people in portland thought i was fake that's how good my pictures were they thought i was fake <laughs> and i was like are you serious? So once they started to see me around the town, they was like, it was like, tut, tut, tut. no, the girl is real. The girl is real. The girl is real. The girl is real. She's really real. Like, she really is. That's really that girl. It was weird to me. But, you know, I got to the point where I was like, well, I'm one of the baddest girls here in Portland. I'm one of the, you know, I'm one, I'm out here hustling out here getting my dough. And then on top of it, I talked mess. You know, I didn't care. But it was a, it was like, people would say I had split personalities no i just knew how to go in and out of character i never wanted people to know who jessica was this intelligent middle class girl um broken you know because people come up with weird stories in their own head so i never allowed people to figure me out and then on top of it when i went to school i was into psychology Right, just add that all on top of the things that I need. Like, come on. So, um, more game. Yeah, I just had a lot of game. I had a lot of knowledge and I knew how to use it. But eventually it got to the point where, you know, I was seeing so many different people that, as I like to say, people were throwing their demons on me because you're exchanging your your spirit with another person's spirit and you don't know what these people are coming from or what their background is and um and eventually i was just filled with so many different types of demons you know and it got to the point where the jezebel spirit manifested in me to the point where i was controlling um i was very conceited and prideful um i mean i literally had this one regular that literally just gave me five thousand dollars each time like it was just nothing right so come on with looks and and money and doing what you want it's gonna get to your head um so it got to the point where my husband would t you know literally take my phone take my laptop you know in my mind i'm thinking okay i'll get married but i'm married to the game i'm married and police can't mess with me they can't do nothing i'm 
legally married. So what can the police do? Nothing. But God has a way of thinking that you can manipulate the law and he's going to shut you down, right? Um, and my husband will tell me, I have a feeling that I'm going to get in trouble with you because he had to portray himself to protect me, you know, on social media. And it got to the point where it was too much for him. Like, this is just too much. Like, I can't do it, you know? Um, so it came to a point where he was helping me transition. He gave me our first son, who's 10 years old today. Um, and I knew I had to make transitions, but at the same token, too, I was so addicted to that lifestyle, addicted to the fact that I could manipulate, control, and, you know, have a man just pour out his pockets to me. Um it was hard for me to get out. And then I did have a job as a caregiver, but in my mind, I'm like, what I make in two weeks, I make that with one person in 15 minutes or less. There's no comparison, right? But my husband's still praying and he's still talking to me. And, and he's like, you have your respect. You have your integrity. You have your dignity as being a woman, not some, you know, promiscuous woman out there. And I know it was hard on him dealing with a woman that was out here prostituting herself. I can only imagine the thoughts he was going through. Um, so I give him kudos for standing by a woman like myself. I just didn't care. Um, but it also got to a point where I eventually did get in trouble. I did have to stop. You know, it got to the point where I became homeless because I was so afraid of what if the police is watching me and I got a child and, you know, I don't, I really don't want my child to be taken and this and all these things was going through my mind. And my husband, you know, told me I'm getting in trouble with you. One day, you know, my rent, I was short on my rent. And of course I didn't have the faith of God yet. So I'm thinking impulse. So remember, I'm, th I'm living this life for so many years. Everything that I do is off of impulse what I got to do. I got to fix it. Self-sufficient. I was in school to become a nurse, but I said, you know, this is just BS. Went down to Salem, Oregon, tried to go make some money because I called my dad. Hey, my dad's a captain for American Airlines. You should think that he would help me, right? I'm going through transitions. I'm going through things. People don't think that prostitution is a form of addiction because they're thinking, oh, well, you're on drugs or you're doing things for mainly a drug habit, but this was a scenario. You come to my house and you would think I had a whole job, a whole everything. You would never know. I, I, I put on a facade to the real world, but then in the underworld, I lived that life. So it was like living a double life in a way. Um, So I called my dad saying, hey, I'm short of money. Can you help me? This is what really sent me back into the life even more because he said, well, you go do what you know how to do best. And I said, wow, this is exactly why I don't ask you for nothing because you you just don't care, you know, and you claim to be a man of God. Okay, whatever. Um, so I went down to Salem, Oregon, posted an ad, got a hotel, did what I know what I knew how to do best, as my dad said. And um, my husband found out that I was down there because all he had to do was type my name to go on the Internet to see where I was because I wasn't answering my phone. So I go down to Salem, do what I need to do. Next, you know, he's driving, talking about where are you exactly. He doesn't know that I've already set up calls, right? I don't have to tell you anything. You're not a pimp, so what do I need to tell you my business for, right?
So um, he comes down to Salem. Next you know, the police is knocking at our door. And when the police knocks at the door, they put me under arrest. They detain me. Um, they arrest my husband. And they take him to jail instead of me. Because he's a black man. He's a black man. So they think this black man is prostituting me. I don't look my age. Um, they, and what's the charge? What's the charges? So they try to get him for compelling and promoting prostitution. But see, what the thing with compelling prostitution is you have to have, by law, you have to be a child. But see, this is what the police did when they ran my name. My name was Jessica Johnson because I'm married, right? But when they see that they ask me, you know, who about my other name, my maiden name, Jessica James, and I tell them, I said, well, that's my maiden name. Like I said, obviously, when you're married, you change your name, duh, right? Um, I mean, I know not everybody does, but I did. I didn't want anything to do with my dad's name. Like, come on, all the crap I went through, I was glad to get rid of that name. <clears throat> So it became Jessica uh, Johnson, but when they ran my name, they said Jessica Johnson and Jessica James because your maiden name is still attached to your name through Social Security, even though your Social Security name on your number change, the Social Security number doesn't change, but your name does on your Social Security. So they see that I was a James before I was a Johnson, and then they also saw that I had a a, a pimp and pandering case in Multnomah County, Portland, Oregon, with my ex pimp which was another black man. So the common denominator between the two black men is this Asian girl, Jessica. So though they looked up my husband's criminal background, which was just robbery and, you know, unlawful use of a gun, things like that, nothing to do with sex trafficking, human trafficking, no type of sexual crimes. But because of them, they knew that they lied and said that I was 16. So they took my ex-pimp's, um, criminal background and they stacked the charges onto my husband instead so they took everything that my ex pimp went through with me and put that onto my husband and lied and said that in 2014 that i was 16 when really i was 26 i was a whole adult so um and because of that incident, it reminded me, it gave me a flashback of what my husband told me about he was going to get in trouble with me. He was going to be in a room trying to stop me. That's when I had like this almost aha moment, like, how did he know this was going to happen 10 years prior, right? So I got the question while he was in jail going through his situation. I started asking myself, is there a God? Like... How a whole nother human being gonna know what's gonna happen in my life before it even happen? How come I don't know what's going on in my own life? Like, dang, you know, like, what's up with that? Is he clairvoyant or something? <laughs> you got like, like tarot cards and different why, things. Like, are you a psychic? All these things, but I didn't know that psychic and tarot cards and all these things is actually kind of wicked, right? It's it's not of God, but I didn't know these things at the time. So I'm going to palm readers. I'm going to tarot people. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out these things in my life. So. I get pregnant, I have the twins. Well, before that, before I had the twins, I was homeless. God took away everything like he did with Job in the book of Job. Except I didn't have the faith of Job. Sorry, I'm just keeping it real. I didn't have the faith of Job then. <coughs> I had um, lost everything that I gained from that life. Everything. So I was pretty upset. Like, 
my money going down, my calls going down, everything that I live like is literally going down the drain. So it was devastating to me. And even though my husband was still there by my side, even though I knew he could have went home and go to his sisters or go to his dad's or his mom, whoever, he still stayed by my side regardless. Um, so I had to swallow my pride, go to the welfare office, get on food stamps, get on cash. And $600 ain't nothing compared to money that I was making. I'm sorry. And it was hard. Go to resources, get help. And my husband was teaching me these things, but the same token, our God was also teaching me to be humble, right? Because I used to make fun of these girls that was on low-income housing, that was on Section 8, that was on government assistance. I'd make fun of them to where God did a 360, where now that you want to make fun of people, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to teach you some humbleness. We're going to break that spirit of pride in you. And boy, did he. So I had to go sign up for Section 8. My husband's like, you better sign up for Section 8. I'm like, no. He's like, where are you going to live? You're going to be prostituting with my baby? Not with my baby. So I was like, man. So I had to sign up for Section 8 and go through all these loopholes. And then I got pregnant with the twins. And um, once I had the twins, they I had them 29 weeks early. They was in NICU for 47 days. And... I ended up staying with his my husband's uncles who woke us woke us woke um us into his home because the twins they're not gonna let you bring the twins home especially when they're premature babies and uh, while you're homeless they're just not gonna let you do that so I let them my uncle's house all these processes and there's a plenty of times I slept at the whole I slept at the hospital because I didn't have anywhere to go right the nurses and doctors are thinking I'm just up there visiting my babies when really I had nowhere to go so I slept at the hospital so in a way I felt like God allowed me to be pregnant with these twins so I had somewhere to go because I didn't have anybody I didn't have no friends no nothing nothing like that besides my husband and my four-year-old son at the time so the twins come home eventually I get my, I get into my own place I get my section 8 vouchers and I heard a voice tell me Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 and I'm like oh no 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 I'm not opening up the Bible just we're not going there we're just not going there but yet there was something that was stirring in me that wanted me to you know see God because of what happened the incident with my husband telling me his vision and dreams before and then it manifested but then I was fearful I, I based everyone's relationship with God based on their behavior, their their hypocrisy. So I was like, mm, I'm good. But then God was pulling me, tugging me. So this is October 12th of 2018. I got my four-year-old, got the twins. I'm going to go see my friend because she wanted to meet the twins. I'm on public transportation and I hear a voice to tell me, get off. And I'm like, Okay, who who's telling me to get off the train, right? There's nobody there. I hear it again. So you can't do nothing but get my kids and get off, right? <clears throat> and I hear a voice tell me, trust me, I'll provide. Go into the store, get your twins the milk. This time, I only had $60 on my food stamp card. And I'm just like, it's October 12th. There's 31 days in this month. 
That's not enough for three cans of milk. I got two babies, not one, two. This ain't going to be enough to end the rest of the month. Like, come on now. <clears throat> I hear it again. Trust me, I'll provide. And I'm like, look at here. Because, you know, I'm still in my flesh, still cocky, still kind of, you know, like, I'm so used to being self-sufficient. How is this How is this voice going to provide for me? I don't even know who I'm talking to. It's my, this is my thought process. <clears throat> and I'm talking just like I'm, ta I'm talking to this voice like I'm talking to you. And I said, look, I think this lifestyle has damaged me, made me just go cuckoo. I don't know if I'm talking to God. I don't know if I'm talking to the devil. I don't know who I'm talking to. But some this voice is drawing me in for some reason. And I said, if you are God that I'm speaking to, I don't want to hear Sally, Jesse, Raphael's testimony. I don't want to hear nobody else surpass nothing like that. Prove it to Jessica. Prove to Jessica that you are real. If you are real, because I can't touch you, I can't see you, I can't call you on my iPhone, I can't FaceTime you, I can't do none of the things that I normally do with normal people. But if you can prove to Jessica that you're real and you're God, I shall follow you the rest of my days. Like, I'm really going to make a deal with God, okay? I sit back and I laugh now because I'm like, did I really think I'm going to make a deal with the sovereign God who knows my step, who knows my life, who orders my steps, who drew me into this place, right? Like, I think like, oh my gosh, silly me, but he knew that was going to happen because of my life. He had to do it that way. So I go into this Fred Meyer store and I said, man, I must be going crazy. This life has really damaged me. So I get these three cans of milk again in the cashier's line. There's a grandma lady in front of me, and there's a lady in her like late early forties, early forties behind me. She's talking to me, small talk. What are how the twins? What type of twins are they? Just you know, talk women do. And me at this time, I'm not the most exactly friendliest person. I'm just getting out. My life just turned upside down, right? But nobody knows that. So I'm trying to be calm and collect and friendly as possible. Just like, oh, hurry up, stop talking to me already, right? And the grandma lady in front of me said, blessings to you. And I said, okay, thanks. Not knowing what, not knowing anything. So it's my turn to go pay for the cash, for the milk. The cashier said, here you go, here's your grocery. She handed me my groceries. And I said, I don't have to pay because I have my food stamp card already ready to pay. Because I'm not believing. I have no faith. Zero. The cashier gives me the bag of three cans of milk. She goes, here you go. And I said, I don't have to pay. She says, no. I said, shut up. Why don't I have to pay? What makes me so special? She leans towards me. She said, that's why the lady in front of you said blessings to you. She paid it for you. I said, and all I could think about was those 30 to 45 seconds of talk that I had with this voice. Trust me, I'll provide. He didn't say how I was going to provide. He didn't say who was going to do it. But he told me that, trust him and I'll, he'll provide. And he knew I didn't trust. I didn't have faith. I didn't believe. It was just... Something was drawing me to this store to go buy these cans. I 
grabbed the groceries and immediately I felt the fire of God. Something happened to me that day supernaturally to where a whole bunch of things like literally just came off of me. Um, I was emotional. I was crying. My body was, it was like I felt this heat from my belly outward to my fingertips. Um, I was sweating. I was crying. I was happy. I've never felt so many emotions at one time ever in my life. But I wasn't crying from sadness. I was crying from joy. Uh, and there's still to this day, I still can't explain all the emotions that I felt that day. But I know something happened to me. Something changed me. So I felt the fire of God that day that shuddered in my bones. I went to go meet this lady. This lady only had three bags of groceries. It don't take this old lady for that long to put three bags groceries in the trunk okay so I knew that wasn't she now I know that she was a vessel for the Lord she said to me Jesus wants me to tell you something I looked at her like me she said yes and I said okay what she said Jesus wants me to tell you that he loves you and don't stop doing what you're doing and I knew from then that God was talking to me because though I didn't want to read the Bible, I was reading my New Living Translation Bible privately. Nobody knew I was reading the Bible because I didn't want to feel like a hypocrite because I just I was just prostituting. Now I'm reading the Bible. It just felt like it just felt weird to me, but something I was trying something but I didn't know what and the time what led me to go into the Bible in my bathroom to read it while I was taking a bath was the fact that the Lord dropped Matthew chapter 633 a couple months back and I was curious to know what that said and what was the, do you remember that verse do you uh, remember what it, what it was seek ye the kingdom of God and all righteous things shall be added unto you and at the time, I was like, seek the kingdom, seek God. And I was like, hmm. And I was reading the Bible, though I wasn't understanding everything. But when I was filled with the fire of God, and I would go back and read it, it was like I understood in a different way. And I knew that God had spoke to me. So I totally forgot to go to my friend's house. And I went back home and told my husband, I just had an encounter with God. He's like, okay, I have those all the time. And I'm like, well, great, great for you. I don't. Like, this is what it's like. This is what happened, you know. So from that day forward, October 12th of 2018, I was never the same. God changed me. He uprooted things. I got baptized December 1st later on that year. And when I got baptized, I literally saw 12 demonic Jezebel spirits leave my body. Literally leave my body. This is doing the baptism? I had a bat. The Lord told me to get baptized because I was already baptized in the spirit. Okay. He had me go get baptized in the water. And I had 12 demons literally leave my body. When I went home, ovens turned on by itself, lights turned on, showers turned on. They couldn't be housed here. So all those demons was leaving, bouncing off. 
picture frames was falling on my son, like cut him, all that. It was it was bizarre. But I was so calm and so at peace that there was no fear. Mm-hmm. So God had me get olive oil and anoint my whole house. Know what to pray, covered in the blood. He had me praying. He said, open the doors and open the windows. And he goes, and you tell them to go. This is a house. And we now serve the Lord. And so from that day forward, it was like scriptures was downloading, uploading, downloading, uploading. He was ex- healing me from the inside out, explaining to me how and why I ended up becoming a prostitute and how he said he's going to use me and all these things. And I was like, wait a minute, I can have a relationship with you, but me being used for you and telling people about God, I said, oh, no, 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 no. But then what's so funny is that I do it automatically without even thinking. (laughs) I do it automatically. So now, because of what I've gone through, I've became an advocate for human trafficking because too many people are sugarcoating the life. Um, Human trafficking is not what girls know it to be. It's pimping and hoeing. That's what they're known tricks johns that's that's what they know it as not human trafficking it's pimping and hoeing flat out i'm glad you said that because that gets to our next topic which is you founded changing souls can you tell us about that and i want you to expound on your definition because for me i think when i think about human and sex trafficking I throw prostitution in there, but I don't throw it in there like you throw it in there. I throw it in there in terms of prostitution can be and is for some people a choice that they're making as an adult. This is what I want to do to make a living for whatever reason, good, bad, or indifferent. So let's 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 get to that. <laughs> Let's get into that because I, I let's get into that, and then definitely because this is the part that really interests me when we're talking about trafficking. Because, and I don't know if I ever told you when we did our pre-interview. So my issue as a first responder is we get called a lot of times to respond to these emergencies, whether we're talking about trafficking issues domestic violence, sexually-based offenses, missing persons, including runaways and or child abductions. As far as the human and sex trafficking, I've been in EMS since 2007, even though I retired in 2020. I've only had one in-service on human and sex trafficking. That was back in 2019 at my old fire department. And I thought, wow, that's really kind of disheartening in a lot of ways because how many red flags did I miss as an EMT, as a paramedic, you know, going on a fire call where that person who either we rescued, that we transported to the hospital for whatever the issue was, because sometimes we'll get called for an emergency that let's say is, um, let's say on the EMS side, it comes out as a sick case. Because sometimes it's not very specific on what the call is. And we get there and let's say there's a young lady there and she's having whatever the issue is. It could be a medical, it could be a trauma or what have you. She's being either catatonic, she's being very quiet, 
but she's looking around, she's engaging, or she may not be. Uh, there may be somebody that's talking for her, and she could be a full full grown adult. Uh, there might be an issue where I'm trying to get demographic information and she won't provide her ID or somebody else pulls it out. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I think back over the 14 years and I'm like, I try to remember. Wow, I remember going on a call and something like that happened and I thought it was weird, but I didn't I wasn't educated on that was a red flag. This person was probably being trafficked or whatever. Me being a paramedic, I'm a mandatory reporter. Like all paramedics and EMTs are for the state that you're licensed in. That could have been a hotline situation that had I known or done some more investigation, I would have done that. So this is part of the reason why I started doing this podcast because there are no other first responders, let alone men, that are talking about these issues. So, Ms. Jessica, please enlighten and educate us. So, when it comes to, and I'm glad that you brought that point up, because a lot of people do tend to miss out on those type of signs. First and foremost, um, sex trafficking is... So, human trafficking, a lot of girls tend to think that we are kidnapped and taken into a cargo and taken over country. And that's not the scenario. That's not always the situation. Um, Human trafficking is of various things. It's not just sexual exploitation. It could be labor where people are taken from another country to America saying they're going to work a certain job and then it's being used to work but receive no pension. Um, But when it comes to sex trafficking, it's not it's not like what people think. It's really considered pimping and hoeing. It's a girl is being prostituted and prostitution is where a girl goes out and has sex for money and she's coming back and giving it to another pimp. Um so that is, you know, what pimping and hoeing is you turning tricks for money giving it back to your pimp and you know sometimes you have these finesse pimps that are you know real smooth with their words and unfortunately i had one that was a gorilla pimp who's gonna beat you down if you don't do what he tells you to do um i hate the terminology daddy because it's really jacked up my whole entire perspective because in my years of the little girl i used to call my dad daddy right as a little girl to well now you have a pimp and he's forcing you to say that it just it just jacks i hate that word now like i can't stand it um so you know it really messed up my mind when it comes to certain terminologies because of that lifestyle now when it comes to sex trafficking I hate the I hate the part when people say, "Well, when you're an adult, you can't be trafficked." That's a lie from the pits of hell, because what happens when a child is trafficked and she becomes an adult and is still being trafficked by the same pimp? What are we gonna say that she's still an adult? She could leave. It's not as easy and simple to just oh leave. 
You have to think about your life. You have to think about the danger. You can't just go and t go up to the police and tell them and then not be labeled a snitch and think about people not going to come after you. There are things that are in place that in the streets you have to be aware of. You have to do it smart. Um, yes, I understand. There are women that's in this lifestyle that's prostituting themselves as known as escorts, call girls, pornography. Um, but let's, let's, let's really break it down. People say, well, you're 18 and older, right? Well, how many times have we heard on the news about strip clubs that are supposed to be 18 and over, but yet somehow they got 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds in strip clubs stripping? What oh. about porn industry? We're supposed to be 18 and older, but yet you still find teenagers making pornography. So let's really break it down. Is it really for adults? Does it really matter? the age content because if there's a way there's going to be a will and if there's a will there's going to be man manipulation in it because why sex make money and it's not just on on and strip clubs and pornography let's talk about the dark web let's talk about the black web let's talk about that stuff how are we going to control that well we don't have enough funding well then it's never going to stop Put it out there. I'm gonna put it just right there. I've done my own research. I've done it. I I, I I go really hard for it because I hate the nonsense. Let's 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 break it down in another perspective. Each and every state has a biennial budget. Let's look at the budget. Let's break down the budget. Where's where's the rest of the money that's where's the rest of the money when only a percentile is going to here, 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 and here? Where's the rest of the money? When the state gets millions. There's not enough fundings? Why? Why not? And this is another thing that I, 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 I have an issue with. And I know a lot of people get upset with me, but I'm going to call it like it is. And I don't care because I have the freedom of speech and I have the right to say what I want based on the United States Constitution. As long as I'm not harming anybody or saying that I'm going to hurt anybody or threaten to kill anybody, I have a free will to say what the hell I want to say. Now, I do. I'm going to put this out. I do not have an issue with the LGBTQ. That's not my problem. Your sexual preference is your sexual preference and you have to deal with God yourself. I don't have a heaven or hell to place anybody in. But this is the part that I hate because I do sit on the board and majority of them are LGBTQ. I can't say what I want to say and I can't express my experience without their trigger. Well, what about my triggers? What about mine? I can't say what I want to say because I have to worry about what you feel, but you can say what you want, but what about my feelings? And this is why I say that because I was expressing about the decriminalization that Portland wants to do here for prostitution, which is a very bad idea. They have no clue what they're going to get themselves into because one, gangs are running loose here. There's already gun violence high, crime is extremely high, and you want to decrim prostitution? But yet, this is the part that I think is so weird. You want to decrim prostitution and say that it's okay for sex workers to do what they want to do. But then at the same token, too, you want to make sure that pimps still get prosecuted, brothels, um, uh, uh, the Johns get prosecuted. Well, who do you think helps run your business as a sex worker? If you don't have a John and they're still going to jail, do you really think that you're going to get any type of work as a sex worker? Like, let's really be real. It, it, it does, it's double standard to me. It doesn't make sense. And then the majority of their issues, they want to worry about the LGBTQ. But 
I don't have, like I said, I don't have an issue. But what about my scenario before the LGBT became so big right now? What about my scenario? What about what happened to me? What happened to these men that was raping on me when I was 16, 17, 18 years old? What happens to my rights? What happened to my feelings and my experience? Why is it that I can't say, well, I'm sorry, a child is not going to understand her sexuality or his sexuality because that's a child. And the reason why I know that is because I asked my own damn kids the same thing. My 10-year-old, I said, do you understand what sexuality is? What's that? He didn't even understand. So he made my point. A child doesn't understand their sexuality. They don't know if they like boys, girls, if they're going to be heterosexual. Even though I know some people say that's how they feel and that's how they feel. Okay, fine. But not every, you can't put every child and every human being underneath that umbrella. That's not fair. I should be able to say how I feel based on my experience without you telling me, oh, you can't say that because it's a trigger warning because we have LGBTQ people. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair to me. What are what is the responses that you have gotten from those board members when you make those points? What, I, don't what say, is, I stop saying anything. I listen, because I realize that one, this is my job, so I have to be careful. Two, I can't bring as much of a, as much as opinionated that I really am, and and though as much as passionate that I am about it, I learned that I have to be careful in what I say because I really can't say what I really want to say because majority of them are LGBTQ, and that's fine. But yet, if you have the right to speak your freedom of speech, I should be able to, according to the United States Constitution, regardless of my sexuality. It's not like I'm attacking the LGBTQ. I'm speaking from Jessica's experience. How can you say you want a live-in experience of what you went through through your time frame and your journey of being trafficked, but you can't speak how you feel? How is that any fair? So now I listen, I observe, and I take notes. Because what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to create my own nonprofit and do my own things and create my own facilities. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to deny a person that's LGBTQ. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that with, when I have these facilities, I'm going to deny you. I'm not going to do that. I would never do that to anybody because at the end of the day, we are all human and we all make different mistakes. We all have choices and free will. But what I don't like is that you exclude heterosexual women's opinions. That's not fair to me. I understand that transgender and those people get trafficked too. I get it. But you can't take away my credit and my freedom of speech either because of your trigger warning. That's not fair. So I, I think that I'm just going to listen, pay attention, and I'm still going to help and do what I need to do. But I will allow in my nonprofit, I will allow people to speak freely. You know, like I look at it like this. If we are all healed, right, if we're all healed and we've been going through this healing journey, certain, shouldn't certain triggers be less than as if you just got out of a lifestyle? I could see like if I just got out of this lifestyle ten, seven years ago, right, you know, but that's not the scenario. I've gone through a healing process to where certain things isn't going to bother me. And I know people will say, well, that's you. That's not them. We all go through a different healing process. But then my thing is this, why are you on the board? 
if you still have major triggers. I want to read some to you before you get into the changing souls um, that you founded. Is this a nonprofit or is this a for-profit? What what type of organization so, is this? I really want it to be a nonprofit. Um, it's a nonprofit organization, so that way people can pour in and see the things that I'm doing, because everything doesn't always have to be about profiting, especially when you're doing it from the kindness of your heart and you want to really truly help people. Um, it's to help men, women, pimps, johns, trafficking organizations, and children. That's also coming from LGBTQ, right? Mm -hmm. It's to help them get the proper resources and to help them get the proper healing and help that they need out of the transitioning of trafficking to society. That's what it's about. It's to help each facility is going to be for the Johns, for the pimps, because you can't have all these people in one facility. It's just, you can't do it. That's traumatizing. <laughs> um, I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't want No. So you got to have the pimps in one building, traffickers in one, the, the, you know, all the girls and, you know, children. Each facility is going to have their own so that way they are able to get the proper healing that they need to be able to help them escape their own prison, to be able to come out of a lifestyle and be able to decompress, you know, let it all out freely without judgment, without people saying, hey, this is a trigger. You know, there'll be one, you have a choice to do one-on-one -on -one, or you could be in a group, you know? Um, now, if it's a group, then yeah, you have to understand people do have different triggers. I get that. I understand that. But the goal is how to help them escape their prison emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually from all the abuse that they have endured. And then once we're able to heal, then let's let's see what type of skills that they have that's transitional from this life to the real world. And then let's help them learn to do resumes and fill out applications and do the basic things that I had to learn, which took me longer to get and get through life and through society because I had to learn for myself versus having somebody mentoring me and helping me. It's pretty much like a mentorship. Let's heal first. Because you come, you matter. You can't help anybody else and you can't live a life in this world until you're fully healed. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be 100% healed and things are not going to come up because that would be life from the pits of hell. Because I know there's things in me that still comes up. But we're going to be able to have tools to be able to deal with those situations when those things do come up. How do we deal with it? Do we, how do we self-care when those situations come about? That's what changing souls is about. Getting help, healing, and let's really knock this down. How did it make you feel? How did you get into it? How do you get out of it? How do you feel about certain situations? Those are the type of things that changing souls is going to be about. It's a, and then when it comes to the pimps, why do you pimp? What makes you want to pimp? What happened to you as a child? What, the whole point is let's get to the root. You can't help unless you get to the root. You don't just pull the top of the weed out. You got to get to the root of the weed.
So, in order to help the pimps, the johns, the prostitutes, the escorts, the, anybody in the sex industry, the children, you have to uproot the problem. What led them into pimping? What led them into se- uh, being buying sex? What led them into prostituting? Let's get to the root of the bar- of, of the situation. When we get to the root, then we can uproot it, and hopefully we can plant different seeds and let them blossom in that form. It's all about changing the mind frame. It's all about getting that person to know it's, put it this way. It's reprogramming their identity. You're not a You're not a pimp. You're not a John. There's something behind that that's causing you to be this type of way. Sexual abuse, rape, generational curses. You've seen your mom prostitute. You've seen your dad as a pimp. These are the type of things that we have to get to the root of. And once we're able to get to the root of, then as my husband told me, as he helped me, then you can escape your prison. I want to read some information that I found. This is so interesting to me. Uh, And for the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about, I want you to respond to some of these things I'm going to read. And then I want you to jump into your advocacy work in the county that you are working in as not only an advocate for people that are being trafficked, but the legislation that you're working on in the state of Oregon. And I, I, I presume that that legislation is not only for the state that you're in, but you want to expand it nationwide. Right. I want to so, start here in Oregon and eventually I want it to go throughout the states. Okay. So I found this um, information on human and sex trafficking and some of the things that you mentioned are in this particular piece that I want to read parts of, uh, where it talked about indicators. And as I told you earlier uh, in this podcast, me being a first responder, I believe that had I had more in services like the one I had in 2019 over the 14 years that I was a first responder, I believe that I may have missed we may have missed, we probably did miss some of these indicators. And so one of the indicators that are in, and it's like, some of these are like seven or eight bullet points. I'm only going to read like the top three for me. Um, It says that they may be fearful of police or authorities. I've seen that in some instances. Uh, They may be fearful of the trafficker believing their lives or family members' lives are at risk if they escape exhibit signs of physical and psychological trauma, e.g. anxiety, lack of memory of recent events, bruising, untreated conditions. They may be fearful of telling others about their situation. I've experienced that when I've done my assessment on the scene. Um, Have very limited freedom of movement. I've seen that on call where I'm like, hey, let's go over here to talk and they had to look over to the John to get the okay. Now, one situation that I realized it was not that it was a because sometimes I have to remember that there are cultural things also that play a part. I've had people that either had limited or no English speaking abilities where uh, either they were Middle Eastern, they may have been Asian, and 
culturally speaking, it was a woman that was the patient. Well, because of their religious beliefs, they had to get the okay from the man or the husband or what have you. And so I was like, well, I don't want to confuse culture with trafficking. And I'm sure you can have both of those things be existing at the same time. So that was always a hardship for me, kind of trying to understand, is this a cultural thing? Is this something that might be a red flag or whatever? Is it both? So those are things that kind of played a part in my head. Uh, seems to be in debt to someone, regularly moved to avoid detection. Another thing was sexual exploitation. So it says, be aware, ordinary residential housing slash hotels are being used more and more for brothels. People forced into sexual exploitation may be moved between brothels, sometimes from city to city, sleeping on work premises, uh, display substance misuse, be subjected to abduction, assault, or rape, be unable to travel freely, e.g. picked up and dropped off at a work location by somebody else, uh, be forced, intimidated, or, or coerced into providing sexual services. They talked about forced labor, where all the work is done under the menace of a penalty or the person has offered himself or herself voluntarily. And again, I'm reading the article. So when I say himself, herself, male or female, I'm just telling you what I'm reading here. I know people have their own definitions of how they want to be defined, sneaking up LGBTQIA+. So uh, him, uh, where all the work is done under the menace of a penalty or the person has offered himself voluntarily and is now unable to leave, they may experience threat or actual physical harm, restrictions of movement or confinement, debt bondage, i.e. working to pay off a debt loan, withholding wage or excessive wage reductions, uh, dependence on an employer for services, no access to labor contracts. You mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, you're not, you're not getting health care and benefits in 401ks, uh, child abuse and abuse of a child's vulnerability by a person's position of power or trust, exploiting that position to obtain sexual services in exchange for some favor, such as alcohol, drugs, attention, or gifts. You may notice a child that often is going missing, truancy, or some type of secret that they're holding, has unexplained money or presence, experimenting with drugs and or alcohol, associated with or being groomed by older people in relationships with significantly older people, taking part in social activities with no plausible explanation, seen entering and or leaving vehicles with adults, showing evidence of physical or sexual abuse or assault, including STDs. Uh, other activities, this person is recruited and forced into conducting some form of activities such as pickpocketing, cannabis cultivation and benefit fraud. You may notice that windows of the property are permanently covered from the inside. Visits to property are at unusual times. Property may be residential. Unusual noises coming from the property. Pungent smells coming from the property, including some signs of forced labor exploit exploitation. And then finally, it talks about domestic abuse. 
a particularly serious form of denial of freedom. This includes the obligation to provide certain services and the obligation to live on another person's property without the possibility of changing those circumstances. They may be living and working for a family in a private home, not eating with the rest of the family, never leaving the house without the employer and being malnourished. When you hear all of those things that I just read, what comes to your mind? You're muted. So I, um, <clears throat> I've actually was, when I first met my husband, I was actually malnutrition. I was very malnutrition. I was very little, even though I was pregnant, I was still little. Um, when you, when you are being pimped, you don't, you are pretty much a slave. You you have no identification. You don't get to, enough. Um, you have no say, none. You don't get to speak. You have no money, no anything. You do not have a say in anything. Yes, you're brainwashed by them by saying you are not allowed to talk to the police. The police are not going to believe you. They're not here to help you. They don't like prostitutes. They're not going to listen to anything that to say. All they're going to say is that you deserve it and you ask for it and you put yourself in this. And you know what? I've experienced that with law enforcement where they didn't believe me and they didn't care and they thought that I was just a promiscuous, nasty, self-deserving woman that deserved it. And when I experienced that, I was like, man, it made it that much more real, that much more able for the pimp to control me. Um, it is a lot of, it's a psychological game, which is a horrible psychological game, but it's a psychological game. Um, when the police do come, you don't get to say they speak for you. You don't get to say anything. You don't get to make facial expressions. You don't, they, they're watching every, your every move and to make sure you do not give a sign. Um, you are bruised. You are hurt. You, I mean, I've been cut with box cutters. Um, I have a good, what, this inch, inch and a half almost of a pimp raping me and cutting me with a box cutter. Um, I've been stabbed by him. Um, it's, it's, you know, to the point where you feel like you're helpless, you know, um, but they're not all like that. Like, not all police officers are like that. There are some that do care. Um, and, and the thing that I, I, I wish doctors and nurses knew the signs of a woman being trafficked because, <clears throat> one, when you realize that she's not speaking for herself or he's not speaking for herself, that should be a red flag within itself. You should be able to speak for yourself. Why are you not speaking for yourself? You can't talk? You you can't express yourself? Why is this man speaking everything for you? I, I, I know for a fact that he doesn't know everything that you're feeling. What's the cover-up? What are you hiding? And I think that... A lot of us get scared and we're not bold enough to step into that situation because we don't know that type of uh, scenario. Hold on. Be quiet. Don't say nothing. Um, 
people get scared of being in other people's business, right? Well, I'm not going to get into that. That ain't my business because I don't know what type of person that is. And if he's pimping on her and he's got that much control, what can he do to me? Well, what about that girl, what that girl's been going through? Or what that little boy's going through? What about what they're going through? If that's how you feel and you only come into contact within a minute of seconds, imagine her days, hours, weeks, months, years. You only came in contact within a few seconds, minutes. Why wouldn't you want to help? I mean, maybe society is just different nowadays. You know, people don't want to help. People don't want to be in other people's business. But what I do know is that there are red flags, major red flags. Shh, zip it. There are major red flags, and we have to not be oblivious to it. When you see that this girl has no identification, you know for deep down in your heart that this this either a, a young adult or a, or a young teenager, the law says you can have ID at least at the age of 16. You have a driver's license at 16 years old because you're able to drive a car. So you're telling me that they don't have any type of identification? None? Why? Yeah. How? And then, and if you don't have identification, why are you not taking this person to go see who this person is? It could be a missing person. Yeah. It could, you know, this child, this person could be in danger and don't know how to express themselves because they've been brainwashed. People don't understand the psychological game that these pimps and these traffickers play on victims. It's a mind game. And it's the worst it's the worst type of abuse anybody could go through is a mind game. Because I can remember there are times like, man, this doesn't seem right, but then it seems to continue. Maybe it is, maybe it's true, or you're hearing it repetitively. Nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to care. The police is this, police is that. And then when that does happen, it makes it much more reality. Stop. Go upstairs, both of you. No, go upstairs now. I don't care. Go upstairs. I'm in a meeting. Go. Sorry, the boys is up now, so they like to be in my business. Go. Now. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Go. Now, please. No, go upstairs until I'm done. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Just just go upstairs. Thank you. Sorry. That's the beauty of editing. We can edit that, that part out. Um, let, let me ask you this, because I just thought of something when you were talking uh, earlier. You said that you spent a lot of time sleeping in the hospital because you didn't have uh, a place to stay. Uh, where is your husband during this time that you were staying at the hospital? He was on house arrest because he was still going through the criminal situation trying to prove his innocence because they made me into a vulnerable victim and lied and said I was 16 years old when I wasn't. So he, they said that he was doing house arrest, but this is the funny part. This is how I know the system is jacked up, and this is why I do activist work for criminal reform as well as advocacy work for human trafficking. If he was on house arrest, how is he taking his house arrest at the hospital, sleeping with the hospital with me? He has a very interesting story, too. I mean, both of you guys, your story is just phenomenal. And I'm telling you, I got to interview your husband because he's a great guy. And I've talked to him before in 
using different platforms. That being said, I want to move into the area of your advocacy. Talk about what you do now as an advocate for the, how do you pronounce the county that you work Mont- in? Say it again. Multnomah. 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 So you work for Multnomah County uh, as? Community. So I work for the Multnomah County Community Advisory Board for Human Trafficking. Okay. And just tell us what's your work with that organization? So what we do is we collaborate on the situations through the funding of the county of human trafficking. Um, We talk about situations such as decriminalization. What are our thoughts? What are our feelings about it? How do we feel about the legislative? We go over the bills and things like that. Um, We pretty much, this is my first time being on it, though I've tried to get on it two other times. Um, but, uh, so far we've just talked about, we've been, the main issue right now that we've all been interested in is this whole bill about this guy, Aaron Boonshoff, who is actually a millionaire, John, who put in a petition for decriminalization of prostitution, um, which behooves me because I'm just like, Really? For one, he's a millionaire, so his money is long, so he's able to do anything. Money talks, nonsense walk. Um, to me, while we on this board, we come, we try to come up with solutions, right, of, of the situation. But again, a lot of it right now is focused on this bill. And to me personally, I think that the board could do better than what they're doing right now. If we're going to talk about we're going to do resources, we're going to, you know. I've come to the realization that what is put on black and white is not always the situation. Put it that way. Um, Like I said, I don't have, I don't have an issue with the LGBTQ plus people are people. But I do have a scenario. I do have an issue when the scenario comes where you allow me to speak, but you cut me off because of a trigger warning for the LGBTQ plus. Like they get to speak freely. Why can't I? You know, um, I've noticed that the focus right now has also been, if it's not black people is the lgbtq plus and to me we shouldn't put it in category or genres that's not right how do you think i feel as a biracial woman when the two genres is black and lgbtq what about my you take away my experience of what i've gone through and i'm the fresh one out the life it wasn't too long ago that I just got out of the lifestyle. Because you said 2018 was when you got out, right? Yeah. So we're only talking four years. Thank you. It's not like I've been out very, it's not like I've been out for 10 years like some of these people. Five years now, yeah. You know, <clears throat> as long as my twins has been born, I've been out the lifestyle. They're five years old. And that's not very long. No. 
That was literally a blink. Everything is still fresh. Everything is still there. <clears throat> you talk about you want to help, but we need to help in all areas, not just the black people, not just the LGBTQ. They don't understand that by me being Asian, mix, the abuse that I had to go through with these Johns was horrendous because in, in people's perspective, Asians are what? Submissive. So because of the line of work that I did, I was supposed to be submissive to each and every person. I got into dom domination because I wanted control. I didn't you want about, to. You talking about like S&M or BD, what is it, BDSM? Yep. Yep. All of that? I got into that too because okay. I wanted control. Okay. I didn't want to be controlled. Don't get me wrong, while I was in a lifestyle, I seen men that was from LGBTQ. They come as a man, but then want to be treated as a woman. How do you think it made me feel too? Not understanding as a child. So there's a lot that I tell people, we have to be open. When we say we're going to be open, let's be open completely. Be open. Lee. We can't just talk about, well, trigger warning, trigger warning. Well, how are we ever going to solve the situation? Because you can't take away from my, you can't take away from my perspective, from your perspective, and your perspective. We've all got the same, we're all from underneath the same umbrella, but different experiences. You have to hear from me. I'm a 17-year-old. I'm seeing a guy, but he's coming in dressing like a whole woman. You don't think I'm confused at 17 years old? Like, what's going on here? But I'm doing what I have to do because I don't want to be beaten by the pimp. Or what about I'm having to dominate these men? There's so much that comes into play. And I think that if we're going to be board members, let's stop sugarcoating it. God told me, when you tell your story, don't sanitize it. Tell it straight, raw, uncut, just like from the butcher beat market. That's right. I'm so glad you said that because I had a conversation, two conversations, talking about sugarcoating stuff. Part of the reason that we titled this podcast Trigger Warning Talk is if you look at the logo to your right, if you look at it in the logo, not only do you see the title Trigger Warning Talk, in those color bands that are all connected, and that's a reason for that because they all intertwine with each other. I put the four topics that we cover, domestic violence, sexually based offenses, missing persons, human and sex trafficking. I've gone in places like on Clubhouse, gone into rooms, and typically, in a lot of the rooms I go into, they're talking about mental health crisis issues. Um, it could be talking about anything from A to Z, from anxiety to xenophobia. Uh, I've gone in rooms and most of the time I'm either the only man or I'm one of a handful of men in that particular room. I don't shy away from them because I grew up in a household of 80% women. So I've always been around women my whole life. So I'm cool with being <laughs> the only one 
or being one of a handful with a few fingers left over. I'm not <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm the that, that being said, far be it from me to be the knuckle dragon, Neanderthal, Neanderthal caveman dinosaur. <laughs> so I go into these rooms because I'm like, I want to learn from you ladies what to what to say, what not to say, how to be, what is politically correct, whether it's just getting educated, like most of my patients tend to be women when I was in EMS or what have you. Uh, it's different with fire because, you know, whatever the structure that's having a problem, you just deal with it, whatever. But with EMS, I remember, hey, if I had to put a, a electrodes on someone for an EKG and that person was a woman, I'm not using open hand. I'm lifting the breasts up, the back of my hand. I got my partner there as a witness. I'm telling the woman, if she's alert and conscious, hey, I need to put these electrodes on you. I got to put them here, here, and here, you know, all this stuff or whatever. I'm going to have to lift up your shirt. I'm going to have to lift up your breasts and all this stuff. It won't be open hand and all those things. So I'm being consciously aware because I don't want to trigger them because I don't know what their experience is. I've had situations where a woman told me, I don't want you to touch me. I want a female medic. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Call the supervisor because hey, my partner was a guy. Hey, I need a female medic here because my patient requests that. Can you get I need you to send a female medic here. She was triggered for something. I found out she had been sexually offended by a guy and she had trust issues and she had PTSD. The call came out as um, unknown EMS. She was having a panic attack. She was remembering what had happened to her and it started, she had, she was under a doctor's care. She was seeing a psychiatrist like every week or so and all that. And I'm like, man. So when I think about triggering and I go into some of these rooms, I'm the same way as you are, Jessica. I'm like, hey, if we're going to talk about it, let's fucking talk about it. How do you if heal? Like, how yeah. do you heal if you don't talk about it? And let me tell you what has happened to me. I went in one room. They were talking about eating disorders. I remember. And we had a very nice conversation. Everybody spoke their piece or what have you. I was discouraged in a sense because the room was set up as a support room, which I didn't know that at the time. And here's my issue when we're talking about triggers. Whether it's, whether it's Clubhouse or whatever the platform is, I don't like having the replays off. And here's why. If you and I are just talking, fine. It's just a private conversation. Let's say we throw in another person into that conversation. It could still be a three-way private conversation. Anything more than that where you're actually talking about a subject matter or you're talking about an issue in a public forum, to me, I feel like, you know what? Why do we have a replay soft? Because I can sit here and record the conversation whether I do it with a smart device or whatever. And people so, yeah, so you're not stopping the recording of the conversation if that's your issue. The other thing is, if I'm willing to go on Clubhouse, or I'm willing to go on whatever format, 
that social media provides that somebody created and talk about my shit, whether it was good, bad, or ugly. If I want to do that, then it's social media. This is not therapy. This is not therapy. We're not doing therapy here. What's the problem? And so when I talk and like I told the people in the room, hey, when I was in medic school, we weren't taught that, hey, if if you work on a patient and that patient dies, you go to the family member and say, hey, Ms. Johnson, I just want to tell you your loved one transitioned to the light. They've gone to another dimension. No, I'm sorry, Ms. Johnson, that your loved one died. Here's what we think happened. ABC, one, two, three. Here's all the interventions that we did. ABC, one, two, three. Hey, when I'm doing chest compressions, I'm doing them wherever I find that patient. If you're in the house and that's your loved one, hey, every two minutes we can rotate. You want to join in and help? Because I have done that. So let's get away from this. Oh, it's trigger warning. Oh, agony, agony. I can't. No. That's why. Psychiatrist. Yeah. So to me, when I hear people say, oh, I don't want to really. Mm, I, it's like, well, how are we going to get to the next point well, of healing? How are we going to get to the next point of understanding? How are we going to stop this shit? Because the next time I talk to you, it may be in a situation. Now, I'm retired, so, hey, if you need help right now doing this podcast, call 911 because LP's not showing up. Jessica's not showing up. If you're triggered right now, call 911 because the two of us are not showing up. We got I got a whole bunch of resources that are going to be part of this uh, when it's put out. All the hotlines, you know, from substance abuse to trafficking, suicide, I got a whole list of shit that I got put into effect as far as resources. We have to talk about these things. It has to be unfiltered. It has to be brutally honest. Okay, if you don't want to say drop an F-bomb, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? We still got to have the conversation and we cannot be doing the, I call it the iceberg conversations. We only talk about the 10% that we see. I want to flip that damn iceberg upside down and let's talk about the 90% that's under the water. Hey, you need some snorkeling gear? You need some scuba gear? Because we're about to deep dive. Let's go and let's have this conversation. But you know what the problem is? The problem is, is that people are too worried about what people are going to think about them and that's really the situation. That's really situation so i go into a lot of these rooms too and and some people applaud me for being bold then you've got some people be like you're just too much no you're not enough you're the you're you're that percentile of society that wants to okay let's get a pacifier let's get a bottle do you need your diaper change oh let's let's count to 10 and breathe one two no let's cut the crap Let's get down to the bottom. Let's uproot the situation and let's figure out how we can really handle the situation. Because you guys want to know why the percentile of suicide is going up? Because you're not getting to the root problem. I don't I, I don't like going to some of these mental health rooms because um it's a joke. I'm just put it like that. It's a joke. 
The mental therapists need a mental therapist, okay? That's how deep it is. Some of these mental therapists only went to school just to have the title, but don't have the heart or desire to really help people. I'm not a mental therapist, and I've done more healing for people than their own therapist. That's a shame. What does that tell you about our mental health? Drugs, putting somebody on drugs all the time is not the situation to uh, solve it. They don't need drugs. Them drugs is altering the chemical balance in their brain already than what they are. Let's let them talk. Let's have ears to hear and eyes to see so that way we can fix the solution. Sometimes... I don't always like to bring my beliefs involved, but I hate to say this, but because I have, people don't understand. Well, you've gone through so much more than I have, and how is it that you seem like you're normal and you're stable, Jesus? What helps you escape your prison? And it wasn't always God for me. I had to take a bath. I had to journal. There are steps. The question is, are you going to trust the process? Do you want to heal? It's okay. Do you want to heal? Or do you still want to, oh, poor me. I've been raped. I've been pimped on. Nobody cares about me. Are you going to run around like Eeyore? Or are you going to get off your ass? And stop playing the victimization game and say, you know what? So what? I was raped. So what? My dad touched me. So what? I was pimped on. So what? I've had two other babies from uh, out of marriage and by being raped by a John and a pimp. So what? So what? I commit, try to commit suicide by cutting myself and taking pills. So what? I've been stabbed. So what? I've been thrown out of cars. Am I alive? Yes. Am I dead? No. Do I have an opportunity at life again? Absolutely. What do I do? I take the power back and say, you know what, Jess? It sucks. Yes, these things, hold on. These things happen to me. It's life. But unfortunately, bad things happen to good people. It's life. We live in a world where there's mean, nasty, ugly, evil, wicked people. And then we have people that are caring and loving and nurturing at the same time. You have a choice. Pick good or pick bad. Or me personally, I don't have friends. It's still hard for me to socialize. You know, when Miss Birdie and loyalty and they connect with me, it's hard for me to like build that friendship because I'm so used to not having friends. But I'm learning to step out of my shell because, again, it's a process. You have to trust yourself. Do you want to heal or do you not want to heal? It's plain and simple. It's black and white to me. But the problem is is people want to feel, oh, feel sorry for me. These things happen to me. And, oh, my God, what do I do? My life is at a shambles. I'm just going to go kill myself. No, that's the sucker way out. Sorry to say it like that, but it is. Do you want to kill yourself because something bad happened to you? Well, sweetheart, unfortunately, there's people that's gone through worse than what I have gone through and what you have gone through. And you know what? They're thriving. Why? Because they didn't take the victim way out. Are you a victim or victorious? Well, guess what? I'm neither or. I'm an overcomer that speak life into people. 
whether it's real raw, uncut, but I'm going to tell you this. The truth will set you free more so than trying to baby you and cover you with a diaper. When are you going to get out the baby stages and grow up? You mentioned something that we talked about before some months ago, titles. And remember, I'm the I'm not the uh, caveman, Neanderthal, dinosaur, knuckle dragon on the ground. And so when we were talking before about titles, and I was like, okay, my wife Chrissy said you never use the term victim in re- in regards to someone unless they're either dead and or you're talking about the crime itself. And said you use the term at minimum survivor. When I talk to you, you say, I don't like survivor. And I say, well, what word works for you? And you say overcomer. I want you to explain why overcomer is better for you than survivor. Because I was surviving while I was going through my journey. Each day I had to survive. That's surviving. I'm not surviving. I've conquered those mess. I've overcame surviving. I overcame my beatdowns and abuse and the psychological warfare and the sexual abuse and the mental abuse and the emotional abuse. All the abuse that I've gone through, I've overcame it. I'm not surviving it. Yeah, to somebody else and political and, and, you know, and the real society where people that's gone to school that advocate and survivor and this and that. No, okay, great. Good, great, dandy. But I'm not a survivor. In your perspective, I might be a survivor. But for Jessica, I'm more than a conqueror. I overcame it. Now I'm an overcomer that speaks life to people. Whether you receive it or not, that's on you. But I'm going to tell you like it is, because I don't want you to be stuck and be like, oh, well, how come she didn't tell me this? Well, you didn't receive it. That's on you. I can't make you receive what I tell you. I can only speak life to you. I'm not going to down you. I'm not going to discourage you. I'm not going to make you where you want to go commit suicide. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth from based on my experience and what I hear you tell me. And I'm going to ask him, do you want the truth? Or do you want to be sugarcoated? I give you an option before I speak. And if you that want, and then there's that makes a difference. Well, yeah, it, it makes a big difference. I had people try to baby me. No, don't baby me. I was already a baby. Sometimes I need tough love. And that's what my husband did. He gave me tough love. I didn't like it. I didn't want to hear it. But you know what? Later on, it benefited me because I had to get my shit together real quick. You're either going to go out there and make life for yourself or are you going to sit in your own misery and talking about what, talk about what happened to you? How long are you going to drown in your own misery? Well, I'm tired of drowning. I got tired of living above water too. So therefore, I overcame my obstacles. I didn't survive because then nobody helped me. Okay, my helping did little nuggets here and there, but it still took Jessica to want to change. It still took me to say, okay, you know what? I'm almost in my 30s. I'm about to be in my 30s. I'm in my late 20s. I need to get my stuff together. I got children now. I can't be selfish. It's not about me. 
if I want more in life. And you know what? I have more peace in my life, more joy in my life, and overcome so much more now and more confidence in my life now and walk in more humility now than I ever have in my life living of almost 30, almost 35 years in August. In 34 years, of, in these last four years, I've accomplished more than I ever have in my life. I didn't think I would be able to become an advocate. I didn't think I'd be able to be an activist. I didn't even think I could be, be a public speaker. But the things that I hear from Miss Loyalty and Miss Birdie and you and everybody and, and Loyalty and friends, you guys helped me with my confidence. I'm like, dang, I really could talk? I didn't know I could talk like that. I never knew I had words like that. I just thinking I'm speaking from my own truth and my own feeling. <laughs> you, I'm telling you, you are so amazing. We got a few more minutes left. And so what I want to do is you and I are probably going to, and I told you we're probably going to do a part two because like, I feel like we just, again, just scratched the surface. I just sent you in the uh, chat box an article that Chrissy sent to me. Uh, it was entitled The Crypto Trap. The subheading is inside the bus of the largest known child sex abuse site in history and how it shredded the myth of Bitcoin's untraceability. I did now, that. Huh? I, I did, did that. It was so funny that she sent me that because I had a conversation with somebody that I'm going to be interviewing uh, this month or yeah, this month. And she was saying that she does not invest in Bitcoin because historically Bitcoin is used. I don't know how much it is now, but she said historically Bitcoin in its early days and in, 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 in its inception was used to fund traffic. It was. was wow. It was. So I want don't. We're going to do a part two because that's. <laughs> I didn't even get through the whole article. I was just sitting there like, oh my God, this thing is like, I don't know, four pages long or something like that. And I got to deep dive into it. And I'm like, I got to talk to Jessica about this because you and I had never, I had never heard about it until last week. And I wanted to bring it out to you to see if you had heard about it. I, 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 I participated in it. Yeah. So we're going to do a part two on that. However, I want you to tell us about what. Um, what for you is the next step in terms of not only what you're doing as an advocate, but how we can move the needle forward in bringing more awareness to traffic? So first and foremost, um, what I like to do is I would like to be able to ha hold conferences. Okay for um to be able to speak on this just from my testimonial and just my perspective and what i've seen um i also would like to see the facilities to go where it's nation where people can say you know what maybe this is a good idea maybe we need to fund her ideas because it it, it may it ain't that it, it may it will work okay. let's help them escape their prison too. Like I said, I enjoy public speaking. I enjoy speaking to people because I want people to feel and be motivated by the words that come off of my 
tongue. I want them to feel the wisdom. I want them to feel the passion. I want them to see the facial expression. I just want them to see hold the whole scenario of me expressing it. Um, number one key that I can always say is observe, pay attention, and most of all, listen. Listen. We don't do enough listening. Um, we have to understand that these, these people are going through a lot of trauma and experiencing a lot of trauma and they don't trust and they don't know who to talk to. And sometimes a simple, Hey, how are you? You okay? I know you may not feel comfortable talking to me right now, but you seem like a really cool person. I like your hair. I like this. Something small to make them feel comfortable. Don't go immediately right into their trauma because, yes, we're going to run away. Like, who are you? You're the 5-0. Like, I'm good. Or you're going to lock me up in the cuckoo house. You know, so a simple building relationship, you know. Hey, or, you know, I, I can relate to you. I know this kind of kind of sucks. You're going through a situation right now, and we're here just to help. And I know how scary it can be. Just some small, small talk could go a long way. A smile, things like that, you know. Um, but again, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We have two eyes for a reason. Let's pay attention with our ears and our eyes and do less talking and only talk when we need to. And in order to bring more awareness, we've got to be able to be able to talk about the raw and uncut. Things that make us feel a little uncomfortable. Sex is not a taboo. We all do it in our everyday life, so I don't know why we can't talk about it. I mean, look at all the kids that's being reproduced in this world. Somebody doing something. Somebody doing something. <laughs> well. I, know, I got four, so, you know, I'm doing something. I'm a little busy with my husband, but I have a husband, right? You know? So I always tell people, stop. I always tell people, I said, let's stop acting like we don't know what sex is. And let's talk about the danger part of sex, too. Because sex is not always about hanky-honky-doy and let's make kids and, you know, let's get it on like Marvin Gaye say. There's also a dark side to sex. And that's the part we need to talk about is the dark side. He said he wanted to do an a interview with you too, your story. But, you know, we, we got to be able to talk about the real and uncut stuff. And I think that's the problem. People are too scared to talk about that. They always want to talk about the good part. When we get to talking about the things that's dark, people scatter like cockroaches. You know what we're going to do? We got to <laughs> schedule this part, too, I'm telling you, because I, I got so much stuff in front of me right now that we'd be here for, like, probably another two hours. So <laughs> we're not going to do a three-hour interview at all. But... Uh, how can people reach you? And we're going to have that your contact information and all this stuff. What are you doing? Because I know you said something about writing a book before. What, what are you doing as far as that? And how can people reach you if they want more? If they got questions, comments, or concerns? Um, my email address is speaking, like you speak, speaking life, L-I-F-E, the number two, souls, S-O-U-L-S at gmail.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, um, Jessica Changing Souls Johnson. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, Overcomer Speaks Life. Um, you can find me on the clubhouse, Jessica Johnson at Changing Souls. Um, 
My number is 971-610-9024. People ever want to contact, um, collaborate, um, just help me just get these 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 funds for these facilities so that way people can really get the true help that they need. We need to help them escape their prison and not the prison behind the four walls with a guard. The mental, the emotional, the physical, the pain that keeps them entrapped in their own prison as they are the warden to their own prison. That's what we need to do. True healing from the inside out. That's what the focus is on. Let's get the help for these pimps. Let's get the helps for these johns, these tricks, these prostitutes, these escorts, these strippers, anybody that's in the sex industry. Let's help them. When they want to get out, let's help them have the resources. If you want to stay in, hey, it's a, it's a free will. You have a choice to do as you please. I'm not here to condemn say no, say yes, change your thoughts, your ways, your feelings. I'm just here to be an outlet, a resource, a vessel to those that want help, that want out the lifestyle, who has experienced trauma from sex abuse and sexual violation from human trafficking by being exploited. That's what my goal is, is to make a better world, bring more awareness, and bring more love in to each and every individual. Some of them are just crazy. I'm just playing around with them. But I'm telling you, Jessica, we got a lot of work to do, honestly. We Seriously. Do. And I appreciate you so, so, so much. I, I'm telling you, I was like, I'm not doing our first interview unless it's Jessica. <laughs> I've been putting everybody on the back like, hey, y'all gonna have to wait. I'm just telling you right now, I got to do Jessica first because you're story and the information that you have and you have the same approach that i do like we're not sugarcoating shit if we're gonna be about it talk about it let's be about it and talk if we're gonna let's 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 uh what did it what did it say uh let's walk the talk yep it's time <laughs> to stop sprinkling sugar no no we're not doing it so Let's 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 get the knife out and butcher the meat and cut it up into pieces and you know whether you're gonna slow cook it, boil it, but let's 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 cook this meat properly. That's right. I want to thank you so much, Jessica. I want to reach out to you probably later on today or sometime this week and set up our part two because we're gonna deep dive into the Bitcoin stuff and a couple of other things that just came across my wire when it comes to trafficking, because again, we haven't even gotten into the people that are really involved in this trafficking that, you know, people don't want to talk about. Yep. We haven't even, we haven't even scratched the surface on the children aspect of it. I want to talk more about the money. Mm. <laughs> the money is, is like, what is, what's the old saying? It's not the love, it's not the, the, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Yes. And when we're talking about human and sex trafficking, that's what it's about. The love of that money. So we're going to really, really, really talk about the money in regards to human and sex trafficking and how that plays a part in keeping it, that wheel spinning. 
We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to make the ride smoother. So with that being said, I want to thank you so much for being brutally honest. I love little mama there with her Minnie Mouse shirt on. <laughs> yeah, it's my little it's my little mini me. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to your son. Tell Thanks. Matthew that I'm gonna be reaching out to him also. Cause I'm telling you, that could be just a whole maybe he and I need to do a show together because the stuff that he's doing with um the court system and uh the reform that he's working on mind blown. Yeah, that his is not even a podcast. His is literally a series, like yeah, yeah. literally LP, like the things that I have witnessed and things that I have seen. And, you know, and I know that it gets discouraging because, you know, people want the story. But at the same token, too, he doesn't understand that the life that we're still living, you know, he's still shackled down, you know, yeah. through the system. And that's why I've become uh also not just an advocate for human trafficking, but also an activist for criminal reform because of the racial ethnic disparity that goes in in our community amongst the black and brown people in our community. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I used to go around telling people and, you know, my husband used to tell me, you shouldn't say that because, you know, people are going to think some type of way, but I I'm bold enough to where I'm confident in Jessica and, and the things that I've experienced, I have a right to say what I want to say. Again, if I'm not killing nobody, hurting nobody, harming anybody, hey, it's my opinion. If you don't like it, oh, well, because I used to go around telling people, if you're not white, you're just not right. And and, and that's just what I've seen in a criminal judicial system. I'm not saying in general, in public, in the criminal system, if you're not white, they don't care. They think that we're stupid, ignorant people. And and that's not fair to us, you know? So his story is just, is literally like a part three, four, five, six, seven, and eight to my story, you know, because I'm the reason why he's in this mess, you know? But at the same token, you know, I look at it like, God allowed certain things to happen because he knew that we was going to be bold enough to say, you know what? This is wrong. This is not cool. This is what needs to be changed. You can't do this. You know, so I feel like there's a purpose in everything. So, you know, his story absolutely mind boggles me, too. And I said, tell him, you got to tell your story. If you want help, you got to go out there and reach people mingle. You know, it's funny because he's more of the people person. While I'm the one like, mm, I ain't talking to well now. I'm doing all the talking. And he's like, you know, he's a little more cautious, which is understandable. But, yeah, he's he's an awesome man. I, I'm truly blessed that the Lord has blessed me with him. But it's been an honor. And, you know, I got to get ready for these kids and they birth his birthday party. But thank you. God bless you. And I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Hey, bye. Jessica Johnson, human and sex trafficking expert from Portland, Oregon. She is phenomenal, she is honest, she is real, and she has a great story not only to tell, she also is a great living example of why this podcast is doing what it's doing, talking, brutally honest conversations that are unfiltered, giving information, we're going to have a bunch of resources, as I stated earlier, listed in the description at the bottom of the screen for anyone who may have listened to the podcast, will listen to the podcast, will like 
subscribe, recommend the podcast, get notifications to anyone else that wants to take part in the conversation. We're going to have a, a number of those resources listed, or I should say, we're going to have numbers to those resources listed in the description for the video and the audio portion of this particular podcast. Every show that we do in closing, the last five minutes or so is going to be dedicated to a missing persons case. 99% of the missing persons cases that we're going to cover are going to be black and brown men, women, and children. And here's why. Because there's not enough media attention given to missing persons that are black and brown men, women, and children. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm not going to sit back and act like it, that this does not exist. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand when it comes to that. I just got an article that I pulled up in US today, USA Today that I want to share with you guys. And it talks about, and this is from the FBI. Uh, it talks about this particular issue that we're having. So this is today's article that came out in USA Today. Do you know where the Do you know where they are? Forty three missing persons cases. The FBI needs to. Excuse me, I'm getting tongue tied. Do you know where they are? Forty three missing persons cases. The FBI needs help solving. The two gentlemen that wrote this article. That was published. Actually, this article was published September 23rd, 2021. So this was last year. And it talks about there, there are hundreds of thousands of people that go missing every year, according to the FBI data. In 2020, more than 540,000 people went missing, including more than 340,000 juveniles, according to the data. In May, the FBI conducted an internal audit of its field offices and compiled a list of 43 active missing persons cases of people who are under the age of 21 that the agency said needs fresh leads. Some date back decades. I didn't say it. Here it is right here. Some date back decades. It goes on. The agency concluded that oh, let me see. the agency conducted the audit around the National Missing Child's Children's Day, May 25th, as part of an annual practice of taking inventory of ongoing tape, ongoing cases, said Siobhan Johnson, an FBI special agent and spokesperson in Chicago who provided the list to USA Today. Ms. Johnson said, Agent Johnson said, we're just looking for fresh leads, noting that this list is hardly all-inclusive. Now is a good time to start soliciting for additional info. Black and brown men, women, and children are not getting the proper media coverage that they deserve. We're going to do everything we can do to change that. I think USA Today, I think 
the authors of this article. I even thank the FBI for helping to bridge the gap in talking about this because even under the subtitle here, it says 43 cases the FBI needs fresh leads on. When we're talking about missing persons cases, we're talking about why is it important to highlight these black and brown men, women, and children. We need the same energy, period, point blank, unapologetically. If you got a problem with it, you got a problem with it. We need the same energy given to black and brown missing persons that are men, women, and children, like this young man that you see on the screen. I'm very passionate about this. We're going to talk more and have more shows that are specifically dedicated to this. That being said, I want to thank you all for joining in today's podcast. My name is LP. This is Trigger Want to Talk Podcast. Have a great day.